folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, I got to thank our sponsors, Running Aces, Hotel Racetrack and Casino, and of course, uh, website AMP. And I have to thank everyone uh, at Rec Poker who's a premium member and who's on the Wrecking Crew uh, for helping support what we do there. If you don't know what Rec Poker is all about, um, it's a free community of poker lovers. We're recreational amateur players, but we like winning. Uh, we think we're all learning together and getting better at the game that we love so much. And it's free to come get an account. Uh, go check it out at rec.poker. And if you want to learn more about me, I'm your host here on the podcast. My name is Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home game. Uh, but you can find out about me and everyone else on the Wrecking Crew by going to rec.poker slash crew. Um, every week, I've got the best job in the world. So I get to hang out here and talk to folks uh, around the poker world about what's going on in their lives, in their games. Um, and this week, it's the one and only David K. Lappin. Um, so, David, we're going to talk about playing poker, writing about poker, some current events in the poker world. Uh, we're going to have some fun. It's not your first time on the show. So welcome back to the circus, my friend. Thank you very much. I appreciate you inviting me back. I guess I must have done OK the first time or else you wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. You know, we'll <laughs> room for improvement. Well, I don't want to just—I don't want to swell your head right off the bat. So we, always, you know, we don't—we like to give out A's and give people that room to get up to A plus. It's all about motivation, <laughs> David. <laughs> so speaking about motivation, I know you've been playing a lot more recently. Um, I think for a lot of us, us recreational players on on our level, um, you know, with uh, COVID obviously and the global pandemic, it's been hard to get some live cards in the air. Um, so what what has changed that's allowed you to be playing so much more? And what, a, a, as someone who enjoys the game as much as you do, I know it's been hard being away from it. What's it been like kind of getting back into it? Uh, I'm a little more regular. Yeah, it was a bit sort of start-stop in a way. Unibet brought back the IPO in Dublin about October time. And that was a great success. And the restrictions in Ireland had just lifted enough that we could do a poker event, a mass gathering in Dublin. And then right on the heels of that, I went to Vegas. We were sort of waiting for the border to open, Dara and I, and kind of hoping that it would do so in time that we could play the main. The main would always make that trip worthwhile. If we couldn't play the main, we probably weren't going to bother. And then Joe Biden did the announcement where just on a couple of days notice, really, he sort of said, look, you can come out. Uh, it'll be, I think it was like the sixth of the month or whatever it was. And we thought, oh, wow, like, you know, well, first off, we thought, oh, damn, that's not going to be possible now. But of course, the World Series were very cute and they added on the day ones. And we thought, <laughs> OK, wow, it is possible now. So we ended up getting the first flight we could pretty much. We had the option to play the very last day one, which we thought would be a bad decision because it was going to be full of Euro regulars. And instead, we could jump straight into the softest day two, which was all the weekend warriors day one and uh yeah hop straight into that bought 75 bigs or whatever it is and uh yeah th that, that was sort of the way we could justify our trip and let me ask you very, sorry I, i'm so interested in this um because people ask me all the time there's these events with multiple day ones and there's an element of strategy involved into which day one you're going to enter and you also spoke about sort of like how they feed into different day twos 
Um, so can you just talk specifically about the main event, I guess, because that's what everyone always talks about in these, in these cases, why would you play one day one over another and, and sort of what, uh, what are some of the considerations that you might have there? And I see we're getting joined by uh, Kim Kilroy here in the chat too. So we'll get another, another face on the panel. Thanks, David. Welcome, Kim. Um, yeah, there are always different opinions being thrown around in the days before some people, uh, their opinions revolve around July 4th, because obviously that's a big, uh, holiday, and other people's revolve around whatever day the weekend falls, because that tends to be when the people from out of town come in and they tend to be softer and bigger day ones. So, yeah, they're sort of the considerations. Last year was unique in that there were six day ones at the end, which is obviously more than there ever was before. Maybe it was five. I can't remember. But there was a lot more than there normally is. I think it was five, actually, in the end. And uh, they fed into different day twos. As I said, Dara and I sort of made the judgment that jumping straight into day two also allowing us to have a day rest would be the smart move um, because we could play the day one We or well, what would be our day two, be really tired, but then have a break day until day three. Whereas um, the uh, jumping straight into the day one would mean straight into the day two and day three again, no rest day. And we were pretty aware we'd be jet lagged. So that justified the trip. It ended up being a great trip for both of us. I, I imagine parallel universes where it went very badly and we'd hate ourselves for making the last minute decision <laughs> but in the end Dara final tabled the very last event we played there he cashed quite a few events up until then but he, he saved the best for last with a, a deep run in the turbo he came eighth as I recall his second world series final table maybe technically his third I don't know he might have had like a seventh and a six max or something that was like on the borderline right and then uh, I ended up going really deep in four events I kind of made the last like two or three percent of the field in four events no really deep run but sort of like top 30 top 40 in a few and a 200-ish finish in the main so that was great um, then we sort of didn't have any live poker for ages. We were meant to have Prague in December. That got postponed. Everything sort of went covid again. Uh, mass gatherings were stopped. The regulations generally got stricter across Europe. And then we sort of opened back up around March time. And since we opened, it's been nonstop. It's like everyone who wanted to have excuse me, a spring event, as having a spring event, but everyone who had their autumn event cancelled or a December event cancelled want to also have a spring event. So it's wall-to-wall poker. Actually, it's quite competitive now for what you want to go to. I think at any one point in Europe, you could probably play three different, uh, pretty good, pretty sizable sort of 1K, 2K type events. Um, The last few weeks for me has been very hectic. I played uh, the uh, PAPC in Tallinn, which Unibet sponsored, Went straight to the Irish Open, which is one of my favourite events for obvious reasons. Came straight back to the Battle of Malta, which is on right now or just finished. Malta Poker Festival begins today. I actually <laughs> took today off, but I'll be playing it tomorrow. And that's all during this week. Uh, right away, I leave that to go to the Dublin Poker Festival, also <laughs> sponsored by Unibet, to return to Malta for one week only to go back to Dublin for the UK IPT Dublin. So it has been wall to wall. Trying to get content out at the same time has been <laughs> next to impossible. But Darren and I are very organized and we've sort of like batched a few half shows ahead of time. So we're basically sort of rushing to get the final bits and pieces of shows out. Uh, in fact, I will be dropping an episode of the Chip Race today featuring uh, Irish Open winner Steve O'Dwyer and ah. Irish Open 
former winner and fifth place finisher this year, Dan Wilson. We also have an, a fantastic interview with Yvonne Montilegre, who is the brains behind the Malta Poker Festival here in Malta this week. So, yeah, loads going on, trying to get those shows out, trying to talk to you guys. I'm sorry I put you on the long finger. You invited me to my last <laughs> night. I was actually still in a tournament, so it's a good job. I, good. Uh, I switched days at late notice because I wouldn't have made it. Hey, man, I'm glad if, if you're out there crushing on the felt, that's always a better place to be than in the booth here with us. So uh, it made it made it easy for us to find a chance to reschedule. I'm glad you're here today. Um, now, you talked about the Irish Open. I know Kim uh, Kilroy, who's here in the conversation, was also just over in Ireland. It's uh, Irish Open is a favorite for for many recreational players, I know. Um, and Kim, I think you even got to meet up with a couple uh, rec poker members over there. So that, that must have been fun. Um, yeah. Was it uh, Joe? I think, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure who else. Uh, who else went? All the better. We're we're all over. And I got to say hi to Dara as well. Oh, good. Yeah, that's fun. Um, uh, David, what what do you think makes the Irish Open so fun? I know why it's your favorite, but um, what do they do differently over there that all these players seem to enjoy it so much? There's a lot of factors, I think. I think first and foremost, the history of the event, the age of the event. Only the World Series is an older tournament in the world. So it ha- it is steeped with history. It's been around for 40 years. And uh, the Irish poker public are very supportive of that, very cognizant of its history and come and support it in their droves. The room itself in City West is just like a perfect room. It's a huge, big sort of arena ballroom. And they dressed it fantastically this year. Big jumbotron, wide screens everywhere. Um, you know, the, the the bannering and whatever was all dressed very tastefully. The bar is open 24-7. It that never helps. ends, really. Cash yep. games are wild. Tournament schedules jam-packed, like four or five tournaments every single day, pretty much kicking off on the two hours. And uh, yeah, and the main event itself broke records. It was the biggest one we've ever had. So yeah, all of those things combined. I think the international element is an, another part of it. It's one of those national events that seems to be really well supported both transatlantically but also across Europe and big numbers show up for that as well the live stream is always really professionally done makes for a very entertaining bit of poker content if you want to watch it and you haven't attended or even if you're there at the table like me and you're sort of you you put it into one ear while you're at the table and you watch along whatever other people are doing at the feature table and then you know, I was lucky enough to get to jump in the box a few times over the weekend, as well as was Dara, and we gave our thoughts and our analysis on on big hands and whatnot. So it was good fun. That's awesome. Uh, well, maybe we'll do a rec book or road trip next year, Kim. See if we can get some Definitely. folks uh, over there. I'd love that idea. Um, now, you so see, we said at the top of the show, so you have been playing a lot between there and Malta. Um, I know you're you're on the felt. It feels like almost every day. Uh, have you noticed any sort of differences in the way that people are approaching the game or, or uh, the way, you know, ha- have you noticed new strategies evolving at, um, at the tables or uh, after a little time off, are, are people rusty or have they spent their whole time studying or I'm sure it's a mix, but has anything stood out to you as sort of like that feels different at the tables than, than it did before? The only observation so far, and I think it is early days, is that there are a new crop coming through. In Ireland in particular, there seems to be a a new generation of Irish poker players who've pretty much spent the pandemic studying and crushing online, and they're sort of bringing a really, really sophisticated game now to the live arena in these kinds of tournaments. It was very obvious that there were some people who'd been, you know, who'd spent their pandemic lockdown well, you know, hitting the books, hitting the lab, and improving their games. I think there was just also a 
sense that the recreationals were back. Maybe those guys got into some private games. Maybe they did some app games. I don't know. But their standards may not have improved drastically or whatever, although I think some of theirs did. But they definitely were, you know, just so happy to be back. And I think that was just the general demeanor of everyone, just really pleased to be back with cards in their hands, sitting around a table, having chats and playing some poker. It was just it was just that sort of <laughs> sense of homecoming, I guess. Homecoming. I like that idea. Yeah. And I can feel like that's um, I can feel like that's in the air. Uh, there's also going to be that sense, you know, the summer camp um, for World Series again this year, which is right around the corner. It doesn't feel like it, but it's going to be here uh, before we know it. Um, are you, you mentioned that that's sort of a trip that you like to make every year, uh, world events allowing. Are you planning to be down there? Do you have dates in mind? What's your schedule this year? Yeah, all booked. Myself and Daryl will be staying in Bally's. Don't really have a great reason to pick it and to not pick it. We right. sort of don't know the lay of the land brilliantly. So we thought it's just nice to be able to go to your room at your breaks. It's nice to not have to worry about regging, you know, in the queues because you can do it the night before. There's just a lot of practical reasons why we prefer that. And uh, yeah, and just not having to commute obviously is nice too. So right. yeah, all of that combined to basically make a very boring choice for Bali. <laughs> There's probably a better way to do it. A few other people I know have talked about, uh, you know, what they plan. Uh, they're a bit more adventurous, but I think it will suit us fine. Dara's going to be there from the seniors onwards. So I think that makes it three, maybe just over three weeks for him. And then I will arrive about four or five days after him. I think around the 28th, I have a family holiday actually in Barcelona, a uh, family wedding uh, plus holiday uh, around that time. So I'm going to go straight from Barcelona at the end of that to uh, Vegas and join, you know, Dara and I'm sure lots of other friends who will be, you know, battling it out in Las Vegas. It, it should be good. Uh, sort of, I don't think I'll ever be able to do a longer trip than two, two and a half weeks. So it's sort of perfect for me to arrive now, maybe a few days before the main, I think the mystery bounty is in mm-hmm. play for me now, which I imagine could be the biggest side event of the entire festival. And uh, I'll be able to play that. I'll be able to play the main event and, you know, sides for at least a week afterwards if I need to. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm excited at that mystery bounty idea too. It won't surprise me if that becomes a bigger uh, feature. Um, at all these as all these tours as we go um we hit we talked about this a little at the top of the show uh but speaking about the main event and uh different ways to register in it you were saying that um when you and dara came back last time you just bought into day two which is an option that's available um and so can you just for some of our listeners that might not be as as aware of of what's involved in that basically you just instead of buying in on day one with a full chip stack and the lowest possible blind structure um you essentially buy your way into day two um, and they can sort of estimate how many big blinds you're going to have at that point. So can you just talk a little bit about that process, the decisions that you make and, and what, what might factor into whether to do that or not? Yeah, I think by buying into day two, you come in at big blind 800 with a 60K stack. So you have about 75 bigs. It's uh, obviously a very playable stack with two-hour levels. It's it's an epic structure. So uh, I suppose the big difference there is if the first couple of significant pots don't go very well for you, you could be out the door for an early bath. 
which might then feel very like, oh, I didn't really get my main event experience because I didn't get to, you know, splash around with all the wrecks on day one and uh, 300 deep. And it's, you know, pretty hard to bust uh, early on day one, given the structure and caliber of the average table. Uh, so I, I think we're missing some value by doing that. But then there is an exploit in ICM terms by coming in late. You know, everybody who's busted from the tournaments, incrementally each of their stacks uh, being, you know, in the stacks of other people whose who's additional chips become slightly less valuable the more they have uh, means that there is a sort of real dollar value to coming up uh, coming in late you 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 get to exploit the sort of the icm of that situation with bust outed people i think maybe i don't know is 40 percent of the field are gone at that point Hmm. so that's an exploit to be weighed up against the getting to play a day one i think for the main event of the world series you want to play the day one we would never have chosen not to play the day one only for the fact that it sort of was a practical decision because we were coming in so late uh, because we couldn't travel any earlier because of the restrictions. Yeah. Okay, cool. That makes sense. And I think people have mentioned before, like, uh, you know, and if people are listening and you're, you're playing the main, you want a satellite or something like that. Um, the experience of playing that day one, who knows if you're going to be in that opportunity again. So I think a lot of our listeners who do not make the trip every year expecting to play in the main uh, would say, go, go get in there on day one, mix it up and uh, splash around like David says and, and soak it up. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe you'll, maybe you'll make, uh, make some huge chip stacks and make your day two uh, all the more exciting. You never know. Exactly. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, uh, your role in the poker world, because it's not just, uh, playing and the podcasts, although I know you're, you're, uh, prolific in that regard. Um, I've also seen all these articles coming out every time I open Twitter, uh, you've got a new article out uh, with different, uh, platforms, it seems like. So who, what are the, what are the different organizations that you write for or that you send off uh, your articles to? And can you talk a little bit about like, how did you become someone who's a writer in the world of poker like uh uh, yeah just in your own words how did that come about basically i always wrote like i am a writer originally so i used to write a blog much like dara actually the two of us it was kind of coincidental that we were both sort of started our blogs around the same time unaware of each other for at least the first couple of years because i was in the states he was in ireland when we became friends when i moved back to ireland obviously the fact that we were both writing blogs made us two of maybe only four irish guys who were doing that and i suppose at the time blogs were more i suppose a more significant piece of content in a way you know obviously it was a time before vlogs and before youtube and twitch so blogging was kind of what people did when they wanted to make you know extra content um for me it's always been a case of being asked by a lot of people, to be honest, in the industry, would I write for them? And always saying no, because frankly, I'm just too busy, you know, between Unibet and the chip race and uh, I suppose the, the the sort of consultancy work aspect internally with Unibet, um, as well as, an, as a brand ambassador. Live events, obviously, having to show my face at like 20 odd events every year, patched up, talking to people about the brand, um, going to all specific Unibet events as well. And then, uh, yeah, there was just, I I had very little time. I'm a family man as well. So, you know, finding the time was always the problem. But the pandemic lent itself to me actually accepting a couple of these offers because I knew I wasn't going to be playing live. I knew that was going to give me a bit more time. We also, Dara and I, started making the lock-in, which I suppose is a pundit show, really. It's sort of talking heads, me, Dara, and usually a guest 
um, shooting the breeze on the topics of the day, offering our very frank takes, even if they are a bit controversial sometimes. And that's sort of a nice um, companion show to mm. the chip race, I think, as well, because it is very different. You know, in the chip race, we're sort of putting the focus on the guests most of the time and we're, you know, asking them their opinions and their thoughts and maybe, you know, taking whistle stop tours around their careers um, and, you know, talking about the issues that they're interested in. For us, I suppose the, the lock in is very much looking at the last fortnight in poker, what big stories have come out and, and sort of giving our views. Um, but and, and I suppose in connection to the lock-in and connection to sort of that idea of punditry, I really wanted to sort of take on a writing position where I got to give my opinions. And mm. a lot of people sort of view my choice of Vegas slots online very skeptically. It's, a, you know, you know, the name itself doesn't lend itself to a huge amount of poker credibility or whatever. But the truth of it is poker doesn't have a proper journalistic sort of landscape we basically have a trade press sites like poker news and lots of others are all you know the, how they function is they get all their advertising um from the poker sites in fact some of them are owned by the poker sites themselves uh, obviously poker news that i mentioned there is owned by stars uh, or the flutter group by ibis media or whatever so you know you're not really getting a uh, unfiltered journalistic take on things through those sites plenty of good writers within those companies but they're undoubtedly constrained by the fact that their paymasters are you know poker sites who don't want anything bad said about them so for me it was sort of a disruptor hack to go to a site who don't receive any mm. revenue from the poker world uh, they obviously receive their revenue from other aspects of affiliate gambling but for me that was kind of important i said look if you don't put any branding uh, around like clicking onto slots or clicking onto casino games on the actual page that I write. You know, people click off the page and find that it's on a site that offers those things. That's their business. But as long as it's not on the page so that when I send a link out with an article I've written, which is hopefully a meaty enough piece, given my opinions on something going on in the poker world that week, um, they're not going to be advertised anything. They're not going to be sort of guided away to, you know, a sort of a gambling component um, they can basically just click on the link, read my article and move on with their lives. And that was important to me because I wanted to have the um, ability to to write in an unfettered way. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anyone to be sort of saying, you can't say that, you can't say that. Uh, be careful with what you say there. We're going to change your words. They let me write exactly what I want. They don't edit a word. And uh, and I really appreciate that. So that's kind of the the dream gig for me. I wouldn't have been happy writing in the way that I think a, a lot of the other writers in the industry are constrained. Yep. Well, that's cool. That's a great answer. I'm going to take a segue out of there, actually, because um, speaking of uh, current events in the world of poker, um, I there's been some hot takes floating around about these uh, cheating allegations and in, in a bunch of different ways, too. So it all just kind of hit at once uh, cheating in the live game by looking at people's cards, uh, cheating in, by having a stable of horses that are colluding or that, that you know, the state, the 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 staker isn't treating them ethically or using their space ethically, um, and and other things beyond that, in, in sort of spiraling out into the world of poker, which is pretty disheartening uh, for recreational players um, when we hear about these folks that are big uh, names in poker that we kind of want to look up to. And I know it's hard to say what's been sort of proven right now. Um, you're you're a little more plugged in than I am, David. 
what's what's your take on sort of what we've learned in the last couple of weeks? And uh, I know you went on a, a French podcast uh, a little while ago and talked about sort of something along these lines that that was you know might be kind of happening behind the scenes a little bit. Is I'd love to know more about kind of your interpretation of this. Yeah, I think first of all, it's really important to to state categorically that the proof we have for these accusations or allegations of cheating is not great, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, you know, obviously a high profile person in Alex Foxen has, you know, leveraged an accusation against Ali Imsirovich. Um the evidence he provided with the video of Ali maybe rubber necking, I think it was Paul Foy's cards doesn't pass the smell test for me. It's not to say that he mightn't have been looking. He he might have been, but that video doesn't prove us. It, it's a very shoddy, weak piece of evidence in my view. Um, I have heard rumours for years about Ali. I think rumours have circulated in the high stakes community for years. He had a prodigious rise up the stakes and you know people view that very sceptically. I don't believe there's any whistleblower out of his side of things. I don't believe there's any, you know, even evidence of the nature of like a text message that would sort of prove mm-hmm. something a bit more salacious or or, or underhanded. Um, but, you know, it, it remains an allegation that's now out there in the world. I just think it has to be treated carefully because I'm not saying it's not true, but I'm not saying it's true either. I, I don't think there's enough to go on and there should be a presumption of innocence, I suppose, out there in the world generally. Um, I also feel like uh, the accusations leveraged against Bryn, and I watched the Zamani interview, and I watched uh, Sarah Herring interview Bryn himself just literally an hour before this show started. And I have to say that there's certainly more smoke there. Mm. Um, there certainly seems to be, uh, you know, some issues. Bryn categorically denied uh, ghosting uh, Lauren Roberts. He categorically denied telling his horses that he wanted them to collude and sort of team up on people, including Lauren Roberts. He uh, categorically denied many aspects of what Zamani alleged and sort of uh, felt that maybe some of the texts that Zamani had shared were out of context and actually didn't back up when you kind of look closer at them what Zamani had said. He sort of thought that maybe Doug had a uh, issue with him and, and that was sort of why Doug was happy to quite quickly um, go off and do a special emergency podcast on it. Now, again, I'm not saying that these aren't things that are newsworthy. They absolutely are. Zamani was a willing whistleblower to come forward. And I think anybody who has a stable should be viewed carefully because, you know, they have a bit more control over people. You know, if you're relying on someone for a stake, that is a hierarchical position that you're in. And, you know, people with power will often abuse power. You know, Dara and I for many years had a stable and we staked a lot of people. We certainly would have been horrified to think that anybody would have in any way teamed up in those situations. But is it possible to like design your stable around doing something like that? Absolutely it is, particularly if the guys are going to be in the same games a lot. So I think if you have a stable, you should be, scrutinized probably more carefully for that reason alone. Um, but then I think there was an issue with some of what Bryn said as well. And I and I sort of, you know, I'm not a body language expert, but I'm a poker player who makes live tells. And I didn't think he was particularly comfortable with some of the questions. He acknowledged that he had ghosted people in the past. I, I wish that Sarah had followed up on that. She sort of let him say, yes, I have 
ghosted people. I've sat in the room and advised people and sort of real time coached them while they were playing. But like that's worth following up on because that's not normal. That might be normal in some people's heads. Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't you just ask your mate who's beside you? But actually, I don't think that's okay. And I don't think uh, she should have just sort of ended that line of questioning there. I would have liked to see her go again. Um, But, you know, it's very hard for her on the spot. She's trying to, you know, spin plates at some level. She had a Twitch chat who wanted to have questions. She had a YouTube chat with questions and she had obviously done her own research and wanted to follow up with Bryn on her own stuff, too. Um, you know, I think you have, you have a much greater, as a viewer, you have a much greater sense of where, you know, oh no, go another question there, follow up there. It's it's easier as an interviewer. I've missed the follow up question many times as well. So no blame on her there, but I do think that should be followed up on. The second thing was like Bryn completely evaded a question regarding his relationship with GG. Has he a motivation to get GG games started? What was his piece of the rake? Um, if he got horses into the games, was he getting all of their rake? What was the nature of his agent thing? He made it clear that Lauren Roberts had never paid him any money and she owed him all the money, which means he was clearly acting as an agent for her, giving her the stake from his own super account of you know whatever that is. And that's all like not above board. Just to be clear, like having an agent system in poker is what we've come to hear that the apps are doing, these dodgy fucking apps that I really can't stand and are <laughs> massively in danger of bringing down a whole side of our industry because they are potentially a load of little pyramid schemes. And secondly, just the idea that GG, a supposedly reputable company in the poker space, certainly a very reputable one in terms of their size and you know their impact these days, they've grown enormously over the last few years, um, have this sort of somewhat shady background to how they grew their audience, how they grew their their client base. They used um, agents to clearly target players that they wanted to get on. They wanted a mix of whales, but also some sharks were in there. Agents were sort of told, well, we want you to get more agents or we want you to get more whales into the games because obviously that's where the money comes from. You can have a certain amount of sharks, you know, making the money feeding off them and the other whales that we get. It seems like as soon as these agents were no longer of use or no longer brought new players, they were turfed to one side. There was an accusation about Bryn potentially railroading other agents. But again, it's like this agent system should not exist. Like if I want to make a deposit to a poker site, I join the poker site and make my deposit. My deposit is my money in my account. If I want to withdraw it, I withdraw it. This nonsense of like some super you know, uh, agent within a group of 20 or 50 or I don't know how many people able to move everyone's money around is fucking nonsense. And it's not the way poker should be. And it's fucking illegal, frankly. So, you know, investigate that is what I would say. You know, we've had investigations into this type of, you know, bad money management. Obviously, Full Tilt didn't have all the, you know, chips didn't have the money to correspond to the chips that were out on the table and this is what we need to do like this is not the way the poker industry should be and a leading front running member of the poker industry in gg should certainly be viewed hugely skeptically and actually i think they have the real questions to answer at the end of all of this cheating stuff which is obviously reprehensible and all these people who are you know being maybe outed as cheaters and maybe we'll get more evidence to suggest that they are but also, this is a site allowing this at some level. And I, I think that's the real problem. So for some of our listeners that are less aware of how uh, different sites run that kind of thing, can you just talk about like what it is about this agent uh, system that uh, other sites don't have? So it, um, like I, I've never played on GG personally. Um, so I understand, well, uh, in your own words, don't, don't let me paraphrase it. Uh, what, as far what exactly as I'm aware, is that? Yeah. 
Yeah. So as far as I'm aware, you know, if you want to join GG and you're in a country that you're allowed to join GG, well, sorry, that, that brings me to another issue, which is that I, I think a lot of people were being told by their agents they could VPN from wherever. So, mm. you know, when GG had big targets to hit with the WSOP online a couple of years ago and they were putting up huge guarantees it was very clear that those people coming in from all sorts of countries all around the world where they weren't meant to be. And the word was, oh, the agent has said VPN away, play from wherever, and they'll turn a blind eye. So, like, if that's true, that's fucking disgraceful as well. But that's one side. An agency is basically that rather than me have a direct relationship with GG in this case and make an account and join them and, you know, deposit my money and use that money to play games and then if I withdraw because I have winnings, I withdraw. This is that like with the incentive of maybe a rake back deal or, you know, a a bigger piece of, you know, some kind of rake back coming to you and maybe the agent getting a a cut of that himself. The agents were seeking out players to join the site under their like little umbrella or under their little sort of, you know, agency or little collective. And if people did that, um, you know, they might get some, you know, higher value rewards but, you know, that isn't like affiliate companies can kind of, you know, march you in that way and sort of, you know, angle you in that way. I'm sure we've all joined sites with right back um, passcodes and stuff like that, where you can kind of get like a, a bigger piece of rake uh, in that way. But this this centralized agent way of doing things is not the right way to do things. It's not the way these things should be accounted for. And actually what they end up doing is dodging money coming off and on the site, because every time a site uh, has a financial transaction with a credit card or whatever, they have to pay a percent on that or whatever it is. And that adds up to huge millions, millions of dollars every year. Now, this agent system allows, well, if you've got enough fish and a few sharks and the fish need more uh, money on, but the sharks have done well, now now the agent can just move the money from the shark's account under his little umbrella into the whale's account and get the whale to send him money in Bitcoin and then pay the shark out in Bitcoin. The money never leaves the site, so no transaction fees. So they're dodging the transaction fees. And, you know, it's all dark money. And this is not the way things should be done. So it's it's really more of uh, taking uh, like an intermediary role uh, between the site and the players, which allows them to kind of offload not just the fees, but I'm sure some of the liability, a lot of the, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge um, uh, liability about it as well. If the site and the end user are not directly relating to each other, then there's kind of like this gray area, which I think is what we're talking about here, which is different than just getting like a referral code to come join a site and getting Correct. a better, uh, you know, better deal or something like that. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and so, so what can we do? What can we do about this? Um, I, cause I think a, I'm kind of worried about uh, recreational players like me and, and our friends here at rec poker and our members uh, becoming more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like being concerned about the, the game security. And and while I'm not sure it's as much of an issue in the games that we're going to be playing, uh, when you see this kind of activity out there, it just makes you a little worried. Um, what can we do to stop it from happening? What can we do to kind of let the rest of the world know that there's just a few bad actors and that this isn't uh, everybody involved in poker? What what's the, what's the way out of here, David? Well, firstly, I would say that, yes, if your players, and I, I know most of you guys will be recreational players playing lower stakes, particularly if you're playing tournaments, it's far more likely that you're not being cheated in this kind of way. 
but RTA software, real-time assistance software, has gotten very sophisticated. It's essentially mm. sort of like PO solving in real time. And people, you know, can screen scrape from their screen onto a separate computer to sort of dodge detection, or at least that's the allegations against Federal Cruz from last year. And one can only assume a year, or maybe it's even two years now later, these um, computers are got more powerful and, you know, the, the, the speed at which they can run calculations is quicker. So at the very high stakes, it does open up this really scary can of worms where, you know, in games that are very skinny, particularly cash games that are more easily solvable, but, you know, in tournaments too, um, these guys can play against each other using their RTAs and essentially cheat because, you know, we're not allowed to use anything that helps us, you know. Um, anything beyond like maybe a sticky note saying don't be new fold jacks to a three bet or something is <laughs> is already RTA. I'm being a little bit facetious there because like some sites do allow uh, charts, like maybe opening hand charts and things like that. And, and some sort of like make their line, you know, before that. And some make the line, you know, ahead of that as well. So it's, it's a little tricky to, you know, maybe globalize this because different sites approach it differently, but we didn't even mention RTA use there. Like some of the allegations being made against the people I mentioned mm-hmm. are the use of RTA. And at the very highest stakes, obviously the incentives are there to, to, to RTA um, if you can get away with it, because, you know, there's big amounts of money, even if you're only carving out a few percent of an edge, it's a few percent of a lot of money at that level. And, uh, and yeah, that's where I think you have to be more worried about it. So, you know, obviously that's sort of why it's been high stakes players outing high stakes players or attempting to with what limited, um, proof they seem to have making these allegations, leveraging this um, these accusations against people because, you know, if they're in those games, they feel like maybe these guys are corrupt and they want them out of those games. Um, that seems to be the gist of it. I think for players playing, you know, small stakes, maybe $50 or below online, tournaments, MTTs in particular, I can't imagine there's anyone out there using RTA to get you. So feel better about it in that respect but also feel fucking shitty about it because these role models of the games are potentially cheating. Like there's no question there are RTAers out there. Now, maybe we haven't got like definitive proof beyond Federal Cruz of last year for like, yeah, how we got that guy. But clearly GG have banned accounts for what they say was RTA use. Now for GDPR reasons, they can't say who they did it to, but you know, people who can't have accounts on that are probably likely (laughs) culprits. Um, I'm sure stars have done the same. I'm sure all the sites are constantly firefighting and trying to battle with this kind of stuff because it's really damaging for their ecosystem and it's really wrong. And it's sort of like one of the main rules and regulations. You're not supposed to do it. But I think the damaging effect, and I suppose it's why some people have made made the point recently that, like, let's not blow this out of proportion, what it is. Now, I was very clear at the top. I didn't want to make any allegations against anybody because I and I actually think that the proof is not strong enough right now against the people who have been accused. I think that's really important to state. But I'm not doing that to try and assuage concerns of people who are worried about cheaters in poker because I think there are cheaters in poker and I think it's shameful and I think it's really sad that it exists in the game. But I don't want to overblow it either because I don't want to sort of um, damage poker because every time you have a cheating story in any walk of life, you know, you, you see it in doping and you see it in athletics and you see it in sports all the time. It hurts the game. It hurts people's faith in what they're watching being fair and real. And if they're particularly in poker where actually they're participant as well, you know, it's not like me sitting in my armchair watching the American football game is like 
getting in the mix with those guys. So I'm not being hurt other than the game I love is being damaged in that scenario. But actually in poker, we're all in the mix. You know, like everyone who, you know, puts their buy-in is some part of the huge triangle of, you know, the way the poker industry sort of works and the way people move up the stakes to, you know, narrower and narrower bands of people at the top. And um, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's... Um, I think it's really sad, and I and I think uh, we're sort of right to expose it. We're right to mourn it, and you know, feel bad about it. We're also right not to overblow it. We want to keep it in context. Um, bad apples is always sort of the phrase being used. I, I hope it's just a few bad apples and not more endemic. But you do wonder what could be on the horizon. Well, that is one thing. I mean, as the technology gets more efficient and cheaper, and you know, more widespread, and as more people find their way to using it. If you're old like me, you remember when you used to be able to gamble uh, for real money on backgammon games online. And what ended up happening was the computers just got good enough at solving the game of backgammon that uh, it was just impossible to meaningfully play for money online anymore because you were more likely to be playing against a bot than than against a human. Um, So I think that is certainly when it comes to the solvable portions of the game of poker, as much as it breaks my heart to say it, I I do feel like that is the trajectory that we're on, Um, which is going to put an emphasis on, you know, knowing the people that you're playing with more. Uh, Obviously there'll be different ways of combating real-time assistance as, uh, as the sites get better at combating it, those that are incentivized to do so anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, live poker is always going to be harder to to get this kind of technological advantage in. Um, yeah. But ultimately, I mean, people are going to people, uh, unfortunately. And, and, you know, there's there's bad people out there that no matter what you what, no matter what uh, systems you set up, they're going to try and find a way around it to uh, to act in a selfish and unscrupulous way. Do you think there's something about poker that attracts more people than that? Do you think it's just that we're all in this kind of stasis of trust where we're, we're kind of in each other's hands as we play, or do you think we're more sensitive to the idea of it coming up because we're getting cheated more directly than when it's on our ball game or that sort of thing? I think it's just money really. Like when the financial incentive is there, like it is in poker, that's the biggest problem, you know, Mm -hmm. the highest stakes, if it's like millions of dollars on the line and people think, oh, I could cheat and I could get away with it or I could stay one step ahead of the security teams or whatever way they rationalize it themselves. Some people just have that fucking attitude where they just think uh, their level of entitlement is so profound that they just think, if I can figure out a way to fuck you over for your money, (laughs) that's sort of part of the hustle. It's almost like it's part of the hustle and it's not. It's clearly not. There are rules in poker. You can angle people up to a point. You can... um, you know, uh, sort of, I suppose, in, in the physicality of poker, you you know, obviously we're bluffing people, but you can also do things that are a bit more angly and cross the line. But like, we're literally talking about people who, for whom there are no limits to what they, what line they would cross. They would, they would literally, you know, if they could see your whole cards, whether that's peeking at your whole cards or that's, um, you know, pot ripping, you know, they would. That That's just the way they're wired, their level of entitlement, their attitude on the world is just, if I can do it, I will do it. And, and if I can, particularly if I can do it and maybe get away with it, I'll definitely do it. And that's fucking shit. <laughs> you said it, man. I, well, I wish we could, uh, I wish we could find a more optimistic way to wrap things up here. But um, unfortunately, you know, when there's incentive for people to cheat, 
we know people well enough that people are, are kind of going to cheat. Have me back the next time when there's nice stories in the news and not the <laughs> grumpy asshole who's just really pissed off after a week of fucking seeing shitty stories. Because it is a bit like that. Uh, you know, this is, I think anybody who just happens to be doing a podcast with whoever this week, you yes. be asked these kinds of questions because it's so topical. And yeah, I would much prefer to have come on on a different, any other week, probably. <laughs> Because this and, and we organized this before any of the ship. It's true. Well. So this was already booked in my calendar two weeks ago. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's just it's, um, you know, look, I I will always answer any questions. And if people want to talk about the, the news of the day, then that obviously makes a lot of sense uh, when I am sort of, as you said, like plugged into the, the grid of poker to a, a big degree. But yeah, I just I just hope the next time there's some like nice happy story of like a big charitable donation in poker or yeah. some epic comeback that somebody did that we can all rally behind as being a great poker moment rather than this fucking cesspool <laughs> shit that we have to deal with today. Well, why don't we get together again over the summer and you and I can uh, talk about our new matching bracelets? That will, uh, yeah, you you have definitely have me back if that happens for sure. <laughs> Oh my god! But then, but then nobody will like me because I'd be very hard to live with if I had a bracelet. Uh, you know what? You're right. Imagine I had a bracelet and O'Carney didn't have a bracelet. That would be the end of the chip race. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, we might want to look into that. Let's just see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, David. I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, you have a great insight uh, into what's going on in poker and uh, a fun story as well. Um, where can folks find you if they do want to connect or if they have questions or if they just want to touch base and get to know a little more about you? What's the best way for them to find you? Sure. Well, firstly, I'd love you to come to a Unibet event, preferably the Unibet Open in Malta this coming September. The Unibet Opens are back for the first time in two and a half years. Mm. Uh, we're coming back to Malta, which is, you know, basically my around the corner from me. So, you know, I've made a very lazy, it's a lazy stop for me. I don't have to, I have to, I have to walk for about 10 minutes to get to the casino. Nicely done. Um, but I, I would love people to do that. So find me that way. But failing that, you can find me virtually, I guess, if you go to at Lappin. Uh, on Twitter, I'm a avid Twitter user, and you can also, um, you know, find me at the tables at Unibet Poker as well. Um, but uh, oh, and sorry, and yes, because you mentioned it earlier as well. And if you do like reading some poker content from time to time, and you you don't mind it being a little more no holds barred, uh, <laughs> check out my articles on Vegas slots online news, and also my articles for Upswing Poker. There you go. And yeah, he's a lot of fun on Twitter, folks. Get uh, Check him out, DK Lap in there. And uh, tell him that you had fun uh, listening to him on the Rec Poker Show, too. You never know. Uh, maybe, we'll, uh, maybe we'll get a chance to get together again sooner than you, sooner than you know. Um, well, then I'd like to thank David so much for joining us and Kim. And of course, uh, our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino and Website Amp. And uh, you, the listeners and all our other uh, fantastic community members who are part of this every week. We'll talk to you again real soon. 